You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful. Good morning, welcome, assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from Thursday morning breakfast show with myself, Kiyu, and brother Asim. And joining me in a short while will be brother Shahil. I hope uh, everyone is feeling warm inside their warm homes. Um, it is a cold and chilly week, to say the least, uh, Brother Asim. Asalaamu alaikum. Yes, it is very, very cold. And if we look at the weather today, uh, further wintry showers will feed inland across Northern Ireland, Northern Scotland and North Sea coast. Elsewhere dry with long spells of sunshine after widespread Locally, severe frost and very cold. Uh, good morning to our brothers in uh, in the northern parts of the United Kingdom. I know you're feeling the cold a lot more than we are down here in London. We are experiencing anywhere between minus one and minus four. But uh, to what I've been hearing in, I think it's Bremer in Scotland, it has been minus 17.3 this morning. That. Yes, you've heard it correct. Um, it's minus 17.3. Um, uh, as uh, usual, the northern parts of the United Kingdom is experiencing a lot more snow. Um, but uh, you guys uh, in the north are a lot more organized than we ever will be in London um, because uh, we don't know how to handle snow. We don't even have, uh, you know, those machines uh, which clears the snow. We don't put, we, we always run out of salt. We always, we always run out of everything. Whereas in the north, um, you know, they take things in their stride. They, you know, the snow comes, they come out, they clean their roads, their pavements, and uh, life carries on. Uh, London it seems to, London seems to always have difficulty in, um, in, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, with, the, with, uh, I mean, uh, brother, you know, it's most probably because um, we don't have much snow the, uh, these years. And uh, I mean, my my prayer, I guess, has been listened by God, as I said last week, that I wish we had some snow. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, clearly, God is listening to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell me what the numbers are next. No, no. As usual, we are here to uh, discuss two very important topics. Um, For the next two hours, first hour, we're going to be talking about um, a recent report which talked about how, uh, for the first time, um, you know, from a faith and from a religious perspective, um, less than 50 percent for the first time um, in centuries um, or ever, uh, the the number of people who believe in Christianity has dropped uh, below um, 100%. I actually read this uh, report. It's actually 46%, I think, where from from previously, I think it was 58 or 59%. But in the last census, um, it's revealed that the number of people who believe in Christianity has dropped to 46%. Um, so it would it would be considered as a minority. Um, uh, you know, it's it's uh, the 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 headline is. Uh, the recent data reveals that England and Wales are now Christian minority nations. I think it's uh, there's a bit of a spin on that because um, when you th- when you read it, you think, "Oh my God, Christianity is a minority religion." Well, it's not, but percentage-wise, it would. If you were to read statistics, that's what it would read like. We're going to be talking about that uh, for the next uh, hour, an hour and a half. But 
Second part of the show is going to be on the current climate of United Kingdom, where further education is to be explored as universities participate in uh, in strikes. We're going to be seeing and maybe trying and talking to people who um, have been affected by the strikes. Um, United Kingdom, um, as everybody knows, we're going to be, uh, or we have already been hit by strike uh, strikes. By the today is nurses. Uh, my understanding is university professors, teachers. Uh, uh, transport systems, uh, postal, you name it. Um, they're all airing their frustrations in respect of cost of living and in respect of uh, their wages, um, uh, as they say that they have been left no choices but to go out uh, to strike to uh, let the government know um, how uh, desperate um, the government has left them uh, in respect of uh, people who are in full-time jobs are not being able to sustain a good, decent quality of life. Because um, in in real terms, a lot of these people are um, still behind, um, especially with the, with the, the number of uh, freezes they've had in their pay over the, over the decade. Um, um, they, they feel aggrieved, and uh, this is the only way left where... Uh, they can demonstrate um, uh, their their frustrations because um, negotiations have all kind of crashed um, and uh, uh, they have not been able to get to some resolution. Um, but uh, before we get on to our topics, uh, let's see what the, the front um, of the headlines, what the papers are saying. Um, four people have died um, after migrant dinghies have uh, this happened three, 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 half three this morning, uh, yesterday morning, when uh, 47 people were looking to cross the channel, and uh, the boat capsized with these people in it. And there were fishermen who were in the area. By the grace of Allah, there were these fishermen yeah. who were in the area who went and uh, and uh, and helped uh, the, the the screaming um, migrants uh, and these migrants. I hate it. I said it myself screaming people and it's frustrating that uh, when some of these people have perished four of them have perished and now suddenly they're being referred to as people they're being humanized but when they are when they are sitting in the when they're sitting in these in, in these boats or when they're looking they're not they're not people they're just illegal they're illegals they're illegal migrants you know the the the, the authorities media they use words to dehumanize the misery and the existence of these people who are who are risking their lives to come across this channel not to come and 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 to claim benefits this country is miles behind most european countries um and scandinavian countries when it comes to social benefits miles behind they're so far behind that you can't even see the dust of nations who offer a lot better um, um, a benefit system. They're coming from a country where the system of benefits is better. That's not where we're coming for. They're coming to work. They want to work. They are fleeing different types of atrocities, be it political, be it cultural, religious, you name it. And to dehumanize them because you or we or the narrative that uh, that uh, you know we tend to um, um, come out with is oh we're full 
Well, my answer to that is, so what? If you're full, make more space. Give up more space. Make space. If we're full, then we shouldn't be going out around the world and, and, and causing wars and chaos in other people's nations in the name um, of our um, um, warped notion of democracy and, and liberty and leave countries in destruction and leave countries in situations where they have no option but to come and flee their own nations. None of these people want to leave. They want to go back. But it it it's frustrating when the media and, and politicians um, suddenly flip um, and, and, and suddenly they, they feel the sorrow that these people have perished uh, in these circumstances where before they were getting into the dinghy, they were just illegal migrants who we are going to stop at any cost. You know, the only thing which strikes me is that these people, how desperate they are to cross the channel. Yes. Even knowing that this is very risky. No, I mean, look at the temperatures, brother. Tem- I mean, look at that point that you're basically risking your own life. Have you ever been like, I pray that I've never, that God prevent me from this point of being that moment where I have to choose between my life or between uh, the death because this is what they did. They knew this is very risky and in the end they did. And I agree with you. I mean, there are so plenty of places we have places of we have here in the UK. Um, it's it's a huge country, and there's still more, much more place for people to live in. It's just you know, I can't sometimes you know for me I can't understand how a human being is letting down another human being only because of his race or color, or maybe I don't know because of the way he speaks, etc. There are so many many points people <coughs> are taking out in the end. So many excuses they make. That's it. And uh, I mean, realizing that he is a human being as well, and we live in this uh, planet together. We need, we will live in this planet together in hundred years as well. But we can't. The only thing what we can't do is to live t- together, live peacefully. For me, I don't. I can't. Have, I have no answer. I have no answer. No one can answer me that question. How can you let a human life uh, go through that? How can you let him not live in this? place where you want to live peacefully as well. You know the um, uh, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him he has said it very beautifully that you should wish for your brother the same what you wish for yourself and this is the, this is something you know every human being should live after that. You should look for your brother the same what you're looking for yourself as well because in the end uh, after in the end we live in this planet I mean if you cause one damage in the other part of the planet it will come suddenly back to you as well, which we see nowadays. If you want, if you don't want people coming to your country, then don't damage their places as well, as you said already. But this is what happened. This is what we don't realize in the end. You know, it's and th- this notion, this narrative that the UK, they're young men coming, they're young men coming. Well, there was a child um, c- heard crying, and and there was a man who would who was heard calling out, "We have a family on the boat." This is. We're, we're, it's minus five, minus six, minus ten in certain parts of, of, of this country. You know, we're talking about catching hypothermia within minutes, if not seconds, when you hit these waters. All I'll say is justice is not being served. And this this lie of illegal... There is no such thing as illegal immigration. People are being fooled. It is not illegal to be in the channel and it is not illegal to be on the beach. 
So where does the illegality come into it? Well, it's the media in the end. Exactly. Yeah. It, and then the politicians are picking up on this narrative and keep calling it illegal immigration. Fear God, because everyone is answerable for what they do, for all the lies they tell, for all the trickery they play to fool the people. Because irrespective of what belief you have, every single belief has the same teaching that you must fear God and be wary. And the punishment isn't that he will come and strike you down. Believe me, it isn't as simple as that. It is fear God because he will stop loving you. And it's these kind of scenarios, these, these kind of um, behaviors where you think you have a, you, you have a right on, 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 uh, on uh, how, how people um, should be treated and how they should be um, addressed. So please call people as people Call them human, treat them human. Do not dehumanize people by referring to them as illegal immigrants because they are not. Because what I see is that they are more human than anyone that I know of because they are risking their lives, their children's lives. Most people who are sitting in warm in their in 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 their in their living rooms or in their warm cars wouldn't uh, dream of sending their child out in in this weather at the moment without a jumper or a uh, or ensuring that they're in a safe place. And I'm just saying, a step out the front door. These people have walked for months, and this notion that you have picked on the Albanians because suddenly Albanians are the worst people on this earth. Again, I'll say to you, fear God. Do yeah. not split this divide and rule. We will pick on one type of people so everybody will suddenly attack them, and which is what's happening like hound dogs. Everyone is on to the Albanians. It doesn't matter whether the Albanians of Afghanistan or from Syria or from Iraq. They are human beings. And it breaks my heart when I see things like this, that in my country, and yes, this is my country, and before I get told... I should leave if I don't like this country. And I will say to you, you leave because this country is better than that. My country, United Kingdom, is better than that. So don't tell me that I should leave if I don't like the law. Your law is inhumane. Your law is, 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 uh, is, is, is putting you, you are putting yourself in a corner, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You need to bear in mind that you are also answerable to a higher power and fear that higher power. Absolutely. I mean, it's been going on for far, far too long. And yep. Too many people have it's, perished. It's, they've got to change something immediately. Absolutely. I mean, I remember when uh, the war started in Ukraine, these people, they were welcomed and uh, that's given so many benefits as well. And uh, uh, I mean, uh, they they came with the triggers and the triggers got accepted as well. These people, you know, who are crossing the channel, they are knowledgeable as well. They have triggers as well. In the end, they gave up the same thing like the people from Ukraine did as well. So treat them the same way because they had to go. They had to. Uh, they had no place to live. I mean, it's not easy to leave your house behind, your mm. home behind. There must be a reason why you're doing this. There must be a reason why you're crossing the channel with your children. 
It's not like they are stupid. No, God be them. It is because they had no choice. The only choice, the only hope they for is basically Great Britain. And I think Great Britain should be honored that it's giving them the opportunity to live in this place. The, the word great in Britain, Britain would be just Britain. If it wasn't for migrants who have come to this country, who have built this nation, I'm sure, um, uh, brother, uh, uh, both of you gentlemen will know in the, the when after the World War, Germany was the infrastructure of Germany was built by the Turkish community. Mm. Mm. The Turkish yeah. community is an integral part of Germany. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. similarly here, immigrants came and built the rebuilt this country. It's immigrants who, um, who, who put the word great in Great Britain. No, indeed. I mean, as you just mentioned, uh, those Turkish community who came there, the name was given Gastarbeiter, which means basically visitor workers, right? Mm. And I even hear that they were not called like uh, uh, civilian or like citizen of the country. Just They were just considered as visitors. But in, even there, because of the Turkish community, Germany got is the right, is there where it is right now. And um, as you said, every country you go, Without migrants, without these immigrants, without these people from uh, different places, you would never be in that place where you are right now. Western society, Western society should realize that because people from the outside, from different places, Western society is right now where it is, and uh, they should be thankful and they shouldn't should look up to their history as well. I mean, this is very sad, as you just said. Politicians make excuses; they make them f funny law against them. Um, they call them illegal as well. I don't know what illegal is. How exactly. can you call a human being illegal anyway? Exactly. Perfect. How can you call someone who's a human illegal? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I've, something, you know, I have huge respect for politicians, yes, but I want them to work in the same way. And you know, I, I'm not talking, I, I want to clarify this. I'm talking about politicians from across the board. Because this narrative of populism, that every single, um, be it opposition, be it people on existing, they are so greedy for power that they will jump on the populist bandwagon and, 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 uh, and, 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 and go on to this narrative of, um, of of pleasing the 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 far right mindset, of treating people in in a you know based on on uh, their their color, the the creed, the nationality, the religion, and again I'll come back to, you know the the fact that it it is it is it is a shame that uh, that 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 this is happening in in this country of ours, and, and this needs to change, it really needs to change. Um, going on to what uh, the other papers are talking about, the eye has listened to desperate voice messages. Again, it is all about um, um, you know most of the papers, the eye, the Times, um, uh, the Sun, the Telegraph. They all lead um, with the with the headlines of this tragedy um, where these human beings have perished. Um, but also the strikes is being covered because today, for the first time in history, nurses are going to be going on strike. Um, One of the biggest strike in history. Yeah. Well, no, it's the first time. Nurses have never, ever been on strike. This is the first time. And that within itself shows how desperate these nurses must be feeling that they have been left no choices but to come out and say, look, 
we do not want be full-time jobs and still go to a food bank. We still, mm. we do not want to be in full-time job and still have to rely on social benefits to lead a quality of life. We are serving the nation. Indeed. If it wasn't for these nurses, COVID would be, you know, we, uh, our politicians sat over the death of 200,000 people who we suddenly they're forgotten, which only happened 18 months ago. No, it's true. I mean, these people basically risked their life during COVID as well. Yes. And uh, in the end, they have families In fact, as the well. first casualties of COVID were, were medical professionals, weren't they? I think there was doctors and there were nurses who initially um, 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 were infected. They, they, they got, uh, um, uh, they were hit by COVID. And, and I think a lot of them in the beginning, there were no doctors and nurses who passed. You know, the one thing, because I've considered like nurses, people who help and save life, as truly are considered as heroes, but this is something you won't find any, anywhere in the media, right? They won't be called like this. And then, as you said, these people, their families as well, they they look after uh, people they don't know. Yeah. And they do it because they want to do it, because they want to help. But it's, it's, also, it's they their have passion. families. Their families behind, they have left behind families as well, and they need to look after them as well. And I can understand that how much emotion they have right now to think that I'm working and then afterwards I have to go to the book, uh, food bank and have to collect food for my family. This is very difficult. It's not. This is something you want. You, you don't wish for anyone. And um, I mean, I don't know how the future will be, but I hope that the future is bright because right now we're going through difficulties. We have strikes. We have different uh, strikes from in different areas, from different fractions as well. And it will go on. It will go on. A change has to come. Um, we need to change. I mean, the politicians need to change something at least for these people as well, because nurses are very important. Teachers are very important as well. Doctors. Uh, doctors are important as well. And if we don't have them, um, it is our fault. I mean, w and we are even even we those people those citizens they are not fault. Uh, they have no fault in this. It is the politicians who need to change something so everyone can benefit from these people, as I call as everyone should call them heroes because they at least give up their life. In difficult times as well. I mean, remember, COVID was difficult for these people as well. Without a doubt. And, you know, hollow claps at the front door, you know, appreciating the nurses by giving them a clap. They don't want to clap at this moment of time. They want to clap you around the head because you're not giving, because <laughs> you're not giving them, you know, what they deserve. Uh, so, you know, let, let's, get, uh, let's get our act in order. Um, just before we go to a short break and, and move on to our first topic, Gentlemen, I know you guys are football people. Morocco? Yes. France? Uh, yeah. Did you watch it? No. I did. I didn't. I no. did. I did. <laughs> did you? Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, the, so the news is that Morocco, Morocco's dream <laughs> is over as they are beaten by France in the semi-final. And Morocco has a lift up this World Cup with an unexpected run to the semi-finals where their hopes of a shock triumph were crushed by defending champions France. So France have again for the second time in a row gone to the final. I I looked at some of the highlights. Morocco lost. France didn't win. There were a lot of there were a lot of chances Morocco had. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So many chances. Mm. And they just didn't finish them off. It was all about finishing off. Basically, it is. they have enough chances. This is football. Like England played better than France, but they in did. The end, Agreed. In Agreed. the end, they lost. It's about scoring yeah. goals in the end. But but look at look at who Morocco beat on the way. I mean, it's amazing. It's yeah. it's amazing. They yeah. beat the cream of the crop. 
They beat Belgium, Portugal, Spain. Uh, Spain. Spain. Yeah. I mean, come on. They, they, they beat Croatia. They, they, exactly. They beat the best. So, uh, I, you know, hats off to 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 um, uh, to Morocco and, and congratulations to them for reaching this far and commiseration for losing. But now that you have put yourself on the world map for football, now the hard work is that you need to sustain this yeah, position. Absolutely. And yeah, it's yeah. staying here and making sure that you're present in the next tournament. And, and, and you know, putting kind of the Arab world and North Africa on the footballing map. I think I hope that African football comes yes. up because I love African football. We have so m they have so much talent. To be honest, in every good team, there's an African player. Hmm. And you know them because well, France, France is an African team, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you, uh, the, well, the last World Cup was won by <laughs> African. <laughs> it was, it was, I think, what tw uh, ten of the twelve or whatever were, were from African backgrounds. But again, we just—they were all born French. Well, well, they, they, yeah. they were all b born French, um, and uh, you know we joke about it. But yes, so so, what's your prediction for the for the you know for the final? I think it's a two. I think it's gonna go to penalty shootout. No, yeah. no. Yeah, it's gonna be amazing, Messi and. I, I believe that uh, Messi is showing some good quality, and I have seen some weakness in France defense. There you go. So France, uh, your manager is rubbish. We have Asim here, who is looking for <laughs> to be the next manager <laughs> of your team. Yeah, <laughs> Please <what>? contact <laughs> us. Please, <laughs> we'll be more Just to remind you, the manager he won the World Cup as a player exactly. and as a coach as well. But Asim, you're better, way better. You would have yes. won the. My, my number is also <laughs> four. <laughs> nine, nine, nine. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, you know. I think majority of the world now that they they're making a choice. I think Argentina people yeah, yeah. people's emotions mm. out with Argentina. They're with Messi. Absolutely. I mean, everyone wanted a Ronaldo Messi final. Yeah. But uh, now we've got Messi, so I think ninety uh, percent of the people might be cheering for Argentina. There in my go. opinion. There you go. Yeah, I've, I'm cheering for them as well. Obviously, I want to win them, but I want to have like very interesting and very great game. A lot of goals. Goes to penalty, and in the end, um, Mbappe just flopped no, again. No penalty. Like. <laughs> like, like, like like we did two years ago against Switzerland. No, no last year. No, I, you know, I think penalty is the worst way to finish a match. Um, we, it is coming up to 7.33. You're listening to The Breakfast Show at Voice of Islam with myself, Kayoum, Brother Ashahil and Brother Asim. We're going to take a very quick break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to go on to our first topic of the morning, which is recent data reveals that England and Wales are now Christian minority nations. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back after some brief messages.
listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Welcome back. Thursday morning breakfast show with myself, you and brother Asim and brother Shahil. Um, brother Asim, what's the gist of this story? What are we talking about? What is this this thing about? Uh, um, you know, data revealing that England and Wales um, are Christian minority nations. What does that really mean? It doesn't mean that. Uh, all the other faiths are are you know above uh, in in statistically um, above Christianity, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean that. So the gist of the story is that uh, with newly gathered data, it has been revealed that England and Wales are no longer Christian majority countries, and that these nations have become religiously diverse. However, studies have also revealed that religion in general is on a decline in the West. Uh, so basically, this segment will be discussing the latest trends in the West and as to why it has become this way. Um, Brother Shahil, um, what's your take on this? I mean, it's it's weird that, you know, if one was to look at the pandemic and when we came out of the pandemic, we did so many programs where people generally were saying that um, they had given up hope. Mm. On all the the kind of uh, the, the places they used to look for for hope and a bit of a positivity, a bit of guidance, a bit of you know light at the end of the tunnel, they had all disappeared, and people were left in a situation where they had no choice but they turned towards God, because that was the only place left mm. where um, you know they, they that they thought that they would be able to get some get some uh, direction and some guidance. So it seems that uh, people have kind of forgotten that it was God who kind of carried them through the COVID. And now they're, they're, they're going back to their old habits. I think uh, the thing of that problem is people, if they need something, obviously they will go and will look for something for someone else. But if they are already have everything they need in their life, they forgot the provider. I mean, they have in this Western society, you have people with two cars, a lot of money, houses, etc. But if you look in different parts of the world, you don't have these things. But these people still believe in God, still are happy with their life. Even though here, even though you have so many things, still you need like uh, sleeping pills to have a, a healthy sleep, etc. And um, I think the reason is that because they have forgotten the provider, the, the person who has actually given them so many things after all. So even though you got went to that pandemic, uh, you went to difficulties, the way they lived, the way everything was provided to them was basically God. But this is something they just don't want to accept. Maybe it's their pride. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's their pride. Or maybe because they think they have everything. They have money and they can buy everything with money. But in the end, uh, as God uh, said in the Quran, everything goes except the blessings of Allah. And this is the thing, you know, you, you need to look for the blessings of Allah. I mean, education needs to be there as well. These people need to be educated about religious teachings as well and I believe you know um, once the person said in regards of Germany that the, uh, the well, I mean, I'm sorry Germany is a religious country isn't it I mean again I don't know I mean I know your background is is, is uh, from Germany but people do tend to go church quite on, on a no, on, no so, really not, not so often anymore oh okay so it is also on the decline yes it is pretty much and this is one thing that I think what they need is a new religion. This is what. What, what does that mean? That uh, we have seen uh, people. We have seen uh, people with different faith as well. But in the end, 
these phases someone did not help them or did not have them go through difficulties etc so they look for something else in this regards money or m- they ask f- people for help but I believe if they're looking for you know faith is something which can give you uh, peace in your mind as well which can go help you go through anxiety depression etc this is why you have nowadays a lot in this society and faith is and was it Islam saying that if Islam can help you go through that I mean Allah that with the remembrance of Allah this is where pe- uh, heart will find ca- uh, peace and uh, this is the uh, the answer of everything that if, if you are going already to trouble and if you f- faith or if you teachings are not helping you then look for something else which can help you through that let's look for the answers in the statistics of this uh, of this of this survey and and no no person better than the representative from the office of national statistics we have with us Sarah Wood who is a representative uh, who will be presenting the results from the recent census on religious identity Good morning, welcome, assalamualaikum, and peace be on you. And thank you for taking time out and coming on to the breakfast show. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Um, Sarah, what does the recent census on religious identity present? I mean, we when we started, we said, well, Christianity has become a minority religion. I mean, uh, you know, it's not really a minority; it's still the majority, but it's gone below fifty percent. That's why it's being referred to as minority. Yes, or am I? Yes. It- so it's, a, it's the first time on the census that we've actually seen it get to below uh, half of the population. So still a lot of people are identifying as Christian. We've got 46% of the population, but that has come down from about 60% in 2011. Thank you very much. Uh, so um, how are the results different from the last census? And have, have they been uh, following a trend? Uh, if yes, uh, can you briefly um, uh, t- explain the trends? So alongside the decrease in people identifying as Christian, we've also seen an increase in the number of people who are saying that they haven't got a religion. Um, So that is about 37% of the population, which is up from about a quarter of the population back in 2011. Um, Alongside this, we're seeing changes um, across other religious groups as well. So um, for those identifying as Muslim, that's also seen an increase since 2011. So about 3.9 million people, um, that's about 6% of the population, um, identify as Muslim. And that's up from about 2.7 million in in 2011. Interesting, interesting. So uh, what information, if any, do you have on how religious identity varied across uh, different age groups so we don't um we haven't actually presented that yet it is going to be coming soon we're currently working through a series of topic summaries which we've presented information on demography migrations information on where we work um but that will be coming in a new year we do have lots of information that we did publish so um we've got information around geographic variation. So the figures I was talking about around the percentages and the changes with Christianity, new religion, that really depends on where you live. Um, Like we're seeing London is one of the most religiously diverse areas. Um, Mm -hmm. So fewer people uh, identifying as Christian, about 40%, um, but also fewer people with no religion. Uh, And one of the most common religious groups in in London is Muslim, which accounts for about 15% of the population there. Amazing. Um, Sarah, um, like, let's say 70, 50 years ago, we would see people going to the churches. Um, They would call them religious as well. But now we have seen the trend that a lot of people are not going to churches anymore. Uh, what do you think is driving these changes in religion? 
So just um, on on that, so when we measure religion, we're talking about religious affiliation. So that is how a person connects or identifies to religion. So someone can identify with a religion regardless of whether they're practicing that religion or not. Um, and in terms of what's what's causing some of um, the, the trends to change, it, it's quite complex and multidimensional. Um, there are various things that could be coming into play there, um, things including different patterns of birth and death and um, different patterns of migration, um, but also, as, as you asked about, the different age profiles, and that's something that we can um, look into some more detail when we present some more information in the new year. Okay, um, just one last question uh, about the results from Scotland because we haven't seen any uh, census results from Scotland and just want to know when we will receive the results and what further research might be done as a consequence. Sure, so the census took place in England and Wales and Northern Ireland in March 2021. Um, Scotland census took place a year later in March 2022. So we're working closely with the UK census offices to publish comparable data across the UK. We haven't got a set timeline with this yet, but it, it will come and, and we'll keep um, keep updated with um, release dates on that as well. Wonderful, Sarah. Thank you so much for taking time out and coming on to The Breakfast Show. I wish you a fantastic day ahead. May peace be with you. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Sarah Wood uh, from the Office of the National Statistics, or as to most people known as ONS. Um, interesting, interesting um, statistics how, um, you know, again, I, I've read this report before, and every other religion mm. has increased. Mm. It's not just Islam. Um, um, I think Judaism is is the one that stayed consistent um, as as previous figures, but Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Sikhism, they have increased. Now that could also a lot of people say, well, that's because uh, you know of the number of people coming into the country, but there isn't that many people coming into the country where the statistics jumps by percentages. Mm. There are people who are turning to these faiths. I think um, you know, as I said before. People are looking for a new thing now. People are looking for something what they can find where they can be satisfied as well. Um, and I, I believe that's that's why they're looking for new religions. They study new religions as well. And it's a good thing because you know if you study about Islam, for example, or about other religions, a lot of allegations were made. They will go on as well, and people will have an open mind about in regards of this belief as well. Um, if you look in South America, there's a big rise of Islam as well. People are turning towards Islam. Um, because they are looking for a new thing, or something where they think, okay, this can help me go through um, difficult times, etc. So as I said, um, maybe it's a good, I'm, I'm totally sure it's a good thing to go and to look for a new religion. Um, it's helpful because as I said, it, it will remove allegations as well. Um, ill thinking or, you know, these racist comments, etc. or Islamophobia, etc. will be vanished as well if people start researching about our beliefs as well about Islamic sector. Let's go on to our, our, our second guest of the morning. We have with us Dr. Andrew Smith, um, who is currently the Director of Interfaith Relations for the Bishop of Birmingham since 2011. He had moved to Birmingham in 1988 to run youth work at St. Matthew's Church in uh, Nettles or Neckles. From 1994 to 2011, he worked in small heath and spark hill schools teaching christianity in religious education lessons he has also been involved in interfaith work in birmingham since mid 1990s he founded the feast youth charity in 2011 to bring together teenagers of different faiths to build friendships and understanding dr uh, dr andrew uh, smith is a 
member of the Birmingham Faith Leaders Group um, on the Inclusion Advi um, in Advisory Board for Warwickshire County Cricket Club on the Advisory Forum for Kaisid, the King Abdullah bin Abdulaziz International Centre for Cultural and Interreligious Dialogue and was awarded the Hubert Walter Award in 2016 by the Archbishop of Canterbury for outstanding interfaith work. Good morning, welcome, assalamu alaikum and may peace be with you Dr Andrew Smith and thank, thank you for taking time and coming on to our show this morning. Good morning and peace be with you as well. Thank you for having me. Lovely to be with you. Um, likewise, uh, lovely to have you with us. Uh, can you please elaborate on the different work you do with people of faith and how important is it that this kind of um, work, work, work is done uh, representative of different faiths? Thank you. Yes, yeah, so my work, uh, uh, partly I work with churches to help them build friendships and kind of make connections with people of different faiths who live around them, live in the area around the church. So that's quite a lot of my work. But I obviously also uh, I network with the many, many different faith groups here in Birmingham. And one of the joys of living in Birmingham is we have kind of every religion you can think of and then a few others. Uh, it's a, such a, a melting pot. It's a brilliant place uh, to be from that point of view. Um, and then I run a number of events where we bring those people together and we bring them together to, to build understanding so that we really understand one another kind of more deeply, why we behave like we do, why we think like we do, why we have our religious festivals, practices and things. Um, and also to build some really strong friendships uh, so that we're not just strangers kind of passing each other, but we are kind of really deep friends and that we then have that resilience to work together for the common good, to support one another in times of difficulty, to, to stand up for one another, uh, and to work for, for others as well, others in the community of all different faiths and those of no faith. So uh, a lot of that work of really trying to build that deep understanding of who we are and how we can work together. Amazing. So Dr. Andrew, um, how does your work help uh, these religious communities? I, so one of the things I think it really helps is, and I just caught the end of your last speaker saying about it, it, it helps to really challenge things like Islamophobia, uh, anti-Semitism, xenophobia, when people really understand what, who you are and why you do what you do, people become less threatening. I think there's a real problem at the moment in Britain that people see difference as a threat. And I like to see difference as a door to discovery. When I meet someone who's different to me, I want to, to learn about them, to find out, and then they become just a neighbor. Uh, who has perhaps different language, customs, religion, uh, mm. but it builds that, that sense of peace and community. Um, and it really helps to kind of to break down a lot of those stereotypes. You know, I, in the work we do with the Feast, uh, which started here in Birmingham, but it works in East London and Luton now as well, uh, we have young people come in who often have never met, really met properly someone of a different faith. And at the start of the day, they might be a bit nervous. By the end, having played games all day and done activities and talked together, they're laughing. They realize they're just an, another teenager they can be friends with. They don't agree with on stuff. And actually, they can live well with difference. They can, they can see the other as just a friend. And yes, there's loads of stuff they agree on. Yes, there's lots they disagree on. But the friendship can sustain them through that. So it, it is a really important way of challenging those things, but also be able to speak about some of those difficult things, about saying together, do you know, this is, this is why we're hurting, and this is why my community is feeling hurt, or, and this is why my friend's community is feeling hurt, and why we should go and support them. So it, it allows that space to perhaps sometimes bring up some of the difficult things that need to be talked about. 
That's amazing. Uh, so what are your insights and opinions about the census? Yeah, the census, it's always an, an interesting thing every 10 years. I think the trouble is it's a very kind of, uh, kind of blunt kind of instrument in one way. We, we get these figures that tell us a certain amount. Obviously, the number of Christians or people who say that they are Christian goes down. And I think that's an important thing to say. I think in one way what we're getting to is perhaps a level of honesty about this. I think in Britain for a long time we've had a tradition where, where some people have said, well, because I'm English, I must be a Christian, I must be Church of England, so I'll put that down. I remember as a child in the 1970s living in East Sussex um, from a family who were very committed Christians. My father worked at a church. Um, and in my class, I remember all my friends saying they were Christians, but I knew that none of them went to a church, none of them really believed in Jesus. And sitting there as a 10-year-old thinking, why do you all say you're Christians when... Yes, you're, you're English and you're white, but, but you don't believe anything. You don't, you don't practice mm. the faith. Um, and I think for people who grew up with that culture of saying, just because I'm, I'm English, therefore I must put Christian down, I think people are now saying, well, actually, do you know what? I'm English, but that doesn't make me Christian. And I think uncoupling religion and nationality is quite important. I think just because we're born in a country doesn't make us that religion, does it? I mean, that's true with any religion in any country. You know, in any country... There are people born there of different faiths, whether that's England, America, Pakistan, India. Being born there doesn't make you a, a member of a faith. Being brought up in the faith, be, be believing it and practicing it is what makes you a, a member of that faith. And I think uncoupling those things is, is, is I think, healthy. I think otherwise it can lead to some religious nationalism, which I think we can mm. see problematic in different parts of the world. So I think that's there. I think we can see clearly that Britain is still actually overwhelmingly a country that is, is, there are people who are adherents of a religion, who appreciate religion, who want to be aligned with a religion. Clearly, there are lots of people who don't align with any religion, and that's fine. And I also think what it tells us, Britain's a country where people feel comfortable changing religion, leaving religion, joining religion. And I think that's a good, healthy thing for a country to be, where people are free to change their mind, to to change as they grow, to, to, to move in, in different directions. So, uh, so I think it, it, it tells us some interesting stuff. I think when we get the more detailed stuff, particularly about you know, where particular religious groups are, are moving to around the country, that's going to really be helpful for us to see. I think it's showing, certainly in Birmingham, that some of the wealthier suburbs are now some of our most mixed in terms of religion. And what does that mean for those communities to, to really come together? and be cohesive communities. I think it's showing some changes in where the kind of religious diversity is, and that's really helpful to see how do we then move into a kind of a really strong, cohesive uh, society in areas that haven't been religiously mixed before. So I think that will be really helpful. Um, Dr. Dr. Smith, finally, how can we as a community help um, and support your great work of collaborating with people of different faiths because within the Amdi Muslim community it's part and parcel of what we do here um, within the community there's peace symposiums there are interfaith forums how is it that that we can we can kind of um, collaborate with, with what you're doing um, in, in kind of promoting uh, peace and, and harmony within the society uh, yeah I think it's, it's really important in terms of um, kind of joining in with what other people are doing. I think one of the things that often happens is people um, uh, want to 
invite people to their things. So I hear a lot of people saying, you know, come to our event, and that's always a good thing to do, to invite people, but also be willing to go to other people's events. Go to uh, a Vasaki event when it comes up to Easter. Go to a carol service. Uh, Invite people to come to iftar meals, but be the people who then take the lead in going to other places. Take your young people with you to other places and take the lead in saying, we will set the example of, of going to other places. Fantastic. Dr Andrew Smith, thank you so much, sir for taking time out and coming on to The Breakfast Show on Voice of Islam. I wish you a fantastic day ahead, sir. May peace be with you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you, That was uh, Dr Andrew Smith, who is currently the Director of Interfaith Relations for the Bishop of Birmingham. This this excellent point that Dr Dr Smith made, you're born into a country, you are born into a religion, that doesn't make you uh, a, a practicing member of that faith, does it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah that, and that that's such a. It, even though it's a passing, it's, it's a comment, but it's so so relevant. This is why he also said that few people don't understand that because you are born in the country, so you need to be the part of of the religion, and this brings you know um, nationalism in front of us uh, yeah. as well. So you need to understand that uh, even if you are born into a country, you can still choose what religion you want uh, to have. And this is why I said as well that Great Britain basically welcomes everyone with different faiths as well. And this is what I've seen as well. This is what Britain makes great as well. This is what I was talking about, though. That yeah, that yeah. thing. Um, that, you know, Great Britain, what was, what we know it as, is not what it is today. It is it is the politicians are trying to um, kind of push it away from what we truly are, uh, an open nation who is welcoming, welcoming to people from all walks of life. We are coming up to uh, 8 o'clock. We're going to take um, a, a quick break, go through some messages. When we come back, we're going to carry on with the topic and we're going to go and hopefully be talking um, you know, um, to Imam Ibrahim Noonan from Ireland. Um, so do stay tuned. Grab us up a cup of coffee, and uh, um, you know, go and get some breakfast. You know me. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the usual. What, yeah. <laughs> the usual. You know, it's like avocado toast, uh, poached egg, some chili flakes, bagel salmon. Man, I am so hungry. Omelette. We forgot salmon. Uh, salmon. How can you forget you? that? Okay, man. It's, yeah. Okay. It, it is one. Well, yeah. I won't give you the address. You know where it is. You know, I've expected delivery. Um, but do stay tuned. We'll be right back after some brief messages and the 8 a.m. news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayoum, brother Shahil, brother Asim. And before the break, we were talking about our topic of the morning, which is that uh, recent data reveals that England and Wales are now Christian minority nations. And again, um, a bit of a misleading uh, uh, narrative here by whoever did this report. What it means is, for the first time in history, the number of people who have said that believe in Christianity has dropped below 50%. Um, As our first guest, uh, Sarah, did point out, it was 46% where the number of people who believed uh, in Christianity. But... Um, you know, listening to Dr. Andrew Smith, um, you know, this term he used, uh, religious nationalism, I thought very interesting. Yeah, same. same. Um, very, very interesting. Um, and, and, and this, this, the definition he gave of... of uh, well, he of also explained it very well as well. Exactly. I, th- I think it was, it was, it was fantastic. But, um, you know, let's uh, kind of, uh, um, as I say, up the ante and talk to our next guest, um, who is no stranger to, to any of us. Uh, we have with us uh, Imam Ibrahim Noonan. Imam Ibrahim Noonan, 
um, is uh, the currently the imam at uh, the Mary Mosque in uh, in, uh, in in Ireland in Galway, um, and he's also the vice president and the missionary in charge of Ireland. He's also a graduate of both Christian and Islamic theology and philosophy from Trinity College in Dublin. Good morning, welcome, assalamu alaikum, and peace be with you, Imam Noonan. Wa, wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking time out, as always. It's been a long time since I've spoken to you, no? It certainly is. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you had forgotten. I you had forgotten me over there. Oh, right? wouldn't dare do that. Wouldn't <laughs> dare do that, Imam. Imam Noonan, why do you believe the Christian population is decreasing in the West? And Wales, in particular, in England, is it because they've they're tired of waiting for the Messiah, <laughs> or they're tired of waiting for the Messiah to come? Oh, that's a very good question. I think it's it is it is certainly a possibility. Actually, that part of the question you just asked now, mm-hmm. that it could be a case that you know people last two thousand years have been hearing Jesus is coming. And he's coming, and he's coming, and he's coming, but he's nowhere to be seen. Yep. Um, and it's a very good point you've just made, actually, because you know when they look around, to, when they look around at the world right now, um, and in particular the last few years, um, you wouldn't be blamed uh, for thinking, well, where is he, and why is there so much, you know, chaos in the world, and why are we watching an unfolding? war, European war, which could become a world war, uh, the situation in Ukraine, and then you have the advancement of um, secularism and atheism and other ideologies which which are now plaguing, and I use the word plaguing properly and believe in it, plaguing um, Western society, not just, not just Western society. It's internationally now, isn't it? Yeah, this narrative can be applied. The reason I asked about this, this, you know, um, that people are tired of waiting for the Messiah is because generationally, let's say today's generation's grandparents who were active members of, you know, going to the church, um, and when there was, say, the First World War, the Second World War would be more relevant, I suppose, from a time point of view. They'll say, well, you know, there there are wars and, and Jesus is going to come and he's going to save us, and then... The next generation came and they said the same thing. And now we're on to a third generation with today's generation are saying, well, hold on, we've been hearing this from generations. And, and you know, wars have come, famines have come, earthquakes have come, viruses and pandemics have come. And where is where is Jesus? So people, you know, are, are kind of hence naturally moving away from religion because everything they've been told hasn't kind of borne fruit. Exactly. I mean, you know, interestingly, um, I had a number of people on the high street in Galway and my recent trip to UK when I I was in Hyde Park, Speaker's Corner, um, this was, you know, being pushed in my face by certain Christian friends. Jesus is coming. And I asked them, how many more people need to die? How many more diseases need to come about? How many Mm. more chaos do we need to see? before he returned and you know to guide people back towards God um, and they really had no answer except well he's come he will come um, so they're hanging on to a belief which unfortunately um, many of them don't believe is actually uh, going to materialize as such 
Now we have, we, I mean, talking about the pandemic, we just went through one, and and you know, after the pandemic, um, statistics showed that a lot of people um, were left in no choice but to turn towards God because their money, their power, the greed, the politicians, the the businessmen, none of them had any solutions to, um, to to uh, you know, to to the to the pandemic, um. Is that turning is 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 turning towards God or faith when you are desperate? Actually, believing in God, or is that like, you know, the the, the you know that's the kind of you're 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 clinging on to to to, to this to to the last string um, to to look for that light at the end of the tunnel. Is is that belief, or or that's part of the beginning of uh, believing? I actually believe it's it is inherent in people in Ireland and certainly I would say Wales and I would say England to a degree and I say that there's a reason why I say that to a degree um, uh, why why I associate more with Wales and Ireland because Wales and Ireland were certainly very devout uh, Catholic populations um, and even you know Church of Ireland Church of England. I think it's inherent within them, and certainly in my observation in Ireland during the time of the pandemic, um, people did kind to turn backwards and look at their past and their inherent belief, whether they were brought up by their grandparents, their parents, when they remember the times of, of, of spirituality, of worship, of coming together as a family in worship of God, they kind of lean towards that. I think... Um, uh, certainly, all of us, including all of us here on, on, on your show, and including those listening, um, we all felt, uh, um, um, you know, helpless in that um, all the modern technology, all the modern, modern sciences, medical practices, um, didn't really help anyone as such. Well, no, so that's, that would that would be known. I must recorrect that. They do help, of course, because our doctors and nurses and all the health professions in the world did a marvelous and brave job. But what I mean by that is that they could see that actually um, the world really couldn't help. Uh, Only the divine could help. And I think that's why we saw people turning back towards the the possibility of turning towards God in hope maybe um, he will help. Um, So I would say many did do that in Ireland, definitely. Um, And I would imagine in Wales as well. And I would imagine to a degree in England as well. Um, so Imam Nuran, do you believe uh, the West is turning towards Islam? If so, uh, what do you think could be the reason and uh, what at actually attracted you towards Islam? Well, I, I think those who are turning towards Islam and they are indeed people um, turning towards Islam. I mean, here in Ireland, we can <coughs> see uh, uh, a lot of people t- uh, turning towards Islam. And in England included, um, um, I would say simply because they're observing Muslims um, being absolutely uh, devout to their belief system, um, regardless of whatever happens in the world. Most of the Muslims still will not compromise their faith. That's one thing. The second thing is, is that they observe the practice of the faith of Muslims and the, the, the absolute dependence upon the oneness of God uh, um, and that's 
that's the reason I believe uh, you're seeing a lot of Westerners um, embracing Islam. I mean, in Ireland alone, we have there is an increase in Ireland with uh, Irish converts as a whole throughout the whole Muslim community in Ireland, and I would imagine the same in UK as well. And I think that's the reason. When they go to churches, they don't see the same or feel the same spirituality or closeness to God. Rather, you know, they just see materialistic materialism within the churches themselves sometimes. Um, they see the the believing clergy who may believe to a degree, but you can't see the faith in their eyes. Mm -hmm. You just can't see it. Um, whereas you go to a Muslim, a Muslim imam or a practicing Muslim, you will see in the in the eyes of that person they actually believe. So I think that's why we're seeing um, uh, people turning towards Islam. And as far as I'm concerned, from with regards to me, that is the very reason why I chose Islam, because um, I saw a living faith. I saw uh, the, the 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 noble example that mankind needs in the Holy Prophet of Islam. And uh, regards to uh, in relation to the first question that was asked, that um, I also saw that the very Messiah, the very spiritual guide that we need to ensure, uh, you know, uh, leaning towards God in in contemporary times through the teachings of Hazrat Muzaffar of Qadian, the promised Messiah, which which only last night, by the way, I was telling uh, members in the mosque. Uh, we were discussing the attributes of God, and I was just telling them that if you read the books of the Thomas Messiah, you will find that deep uh, needed spiritual life uh, that mankind needs. That That is why I came towards Islam, and, and thankfully, I'm always grateful to Almighty God for that. Imam Ibrahim Noonan, one question that came to mind and when you were answering this is, and brother... Uh, uh, Asim asked a question about the increase in the number of people who are Muslims. It, w we live in the West where Islam has always been demonized as, as an oppress, the, the, the oppressor of women, who putting down women. Um, and, and, you know, hence one of the reasons why Islamophobia is, is, is so high up um, when it comes to, to, to bigotry. Um, even though we are, or Islam is banded with this, uh, you know, false um, um, accusation of being an oppressor of women. More women are turning to Islam and converting to Islam than men are in the West. Why do you think that is? You know, that's, that is so true what you just said. I mean, as I mentioned, there is an increase um, and in, there has been an increase. We're observing an increase of uh, Muslim conversions in Ireland. Now, I'll give you an example. I was in a high street in Dublin not so long ago. Um, there was a food bank. Um, unfortunately, there are food banks, but there was a food bank in Dublin City, um, and there was a, and a group called the Ladies of Ear, um, and they were all women, and they were all Irish women, Irish converts to Islam. Wow. And there was a 15 of them helping out, going out in the street, giving food to people, full hijab, you name it, and they were hardcore, proper Irish backgrounds, um, amazing women, um, and all of them converted for the same reasons. They saw that, that they saw that Islam offered them protection. That was the first thing they told me, protection and security of a husband, um, a family unit, um, a spirituality, a closeness with God Almighty, um, um, that oneness, that, that dignity that Islam protects women and gives women, 
that is the reason why uh, they're turning towards Islam. And, and, that, and, ma- and many of them, by the way, three of them that I spoke to, were actually, um, one was a banker, one was uh, a, a solicitor, uh, and one was a lecturer in universities. So these are not just like un- illiterate women, God forbid, I'm not saying women are illiterate, but I'm saying they're not people who, who just kind of married into the faith. These are women who made a conscious decision uh, to embrace Islam. Um, and I think, I, I think it's pretty much for the reasons I just said, um, and it disproves this concept that women are oppressed, mm. um, that Islam oppresses women. It actually, it actually does the opposite. It liberates them. Fantastic. Brother Shahil. That's amazing. Um, Dr. Uh, uh, sorry, Imam Ibrahim, um, I, th- I believe you are Irish, right? And uh, you are also born Irish, right? Absolutely. Um, I just want you know, you know, I've seen Irish people. Or I've heard about Irish people if that they are very religious. Um, you're just talking about people who um, t- uh, turn towards Islam, which is very good as well. Um, I've also heard that um, about this uh, about those Catholics and Protestants who are always, always be in dispute in Ireland. But I was told, regardless of that, I was I was told that Irish people are very religious and they go towards uh, they go to churches, they fulfill their religious duty. But I just want to hear from you: Is it still going on? Are people still going to the churches, or especially Christian people? Are they still fulfilling their duties, uh, religious yes. duties? The answer is yes, um, um, and I say thankfully um, because I'd rather be in a in a religious society than a non-religious society. And and I and I don't say that with disrespect to any mm. of my atheist friends out there. Um, you know, recently there was a visit to Ireland. We had we had a we had an interfaith program recently with a great success. The mosque was packed with people. Um, um, but the, the reason I'm mentioning this is because um, we had um, a, re- a team of Reva religions came over to do some work here, and I took them to a very sacred shrine uh, for the Catholics worldwide, which is called uh, the Shrine of Knock, uh, where people believe that Mary came in, in a vision with Joseph and the baby Jesus in the shape of a lamb, or in the form of a lamb. But I brought the, re- the, the Reva religion team, we sat through a whole mass. I, I, you know, they wanted, they wanted to feel the Irishness, right? the religiousness of Irish people. Mm. And they sat through the whole mass. Now, this is a massive church. This is huge. And it was packed to the brim. And people even standing outside as well, I believe. So um, every Sunday you will see this. You will see every most every church is full. Um, you know, uh, you, look, you will see in the city alone, every half a kilometer there's a church. Um, so yes, I would say the Irish are still religious and still practicing their faith. But of course, you have the younger people who are now kind of balancing off their secularism to mm-hmm. religiousness. So, uh, but I would say, from my observation, Irish people are, are still uh, very religious. And Ibrahim, you said you are actually very thankful that people are still religious in Ireland. And uh, what do you think? Why is it so important that for this society that people should be religious? They should be religious because uh, you you would hope that through their religion or through the faith of their religiousness that they will have uh, those virtues that are needed in society. In fact, I gave a lecture in a school just two days ago mm-hmm. called the, the uh, School of Jesuits, which is a Catholic school and Jesuit uh, kind of branch of theology for uh, Christians. Um, and uh, 
one of the things and one of the questions I was asked is that regarding Islam in the West, regarding Islam in Galway, in Ireland, what we have to contribute. And I, and I told them that we our contribution for Western society or for Galway society is that first and foremost, we all like, we, we, we all want for each other piety, righteousness, peace, working together as human beings, and, and our both faiths, if we practice them, that's what we will get. Um, so for me, it's, it's, I would rather have a devout Roman Catholic mm-hmm. who is acting upon righteousness and virtues, and, and then a Muslim acting on the same, because at least it'll prove one point, and that is the concept of a divine, the concept of a living mm-hmm. God, the concept of, of God. Um, see, my absolute belief is that when a very devout Roman Catholic who is who is even though even though they're devout and they're they're practicing their faith, there's elements within their faith they obviously they have issues with. So that eventually will lead them towards Islam because once they see a practicing Muslim really practicing their faith and they see the purity of their faith of the Islamic faith, they will be drawn towards um, uh, Islam. And I believe it. I I really believe one day, inshallah, you will see masses and masses of Arabs people coming towards the Ahmadiyya interpretation of Islam. Um, um, right now we're going through, unfortunately we're going through a war, we had the pandemic as well. Um, do you think that people will turn towards a higher being when they fee or when they go through these difficulties? Um, yes and no. Yes in the sense that, like if you see what's going on in Ukraine, you will find that many uh, many people will be questioning the existence of God now because of the suffering mm. they're going through. That's 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 going to happen because they'll be very the very very question the Kayyum asked at the beginning, they'll be asking, Where's Jesus? Why are we going through this? was he not supposed to come back and and, and guide us, guide mankind not to do these things, guide the politicians not to be greedy, not to be political not to be selfish in their really intentions to the war. Where is Jesus? Why doesn't why doesn't Jesus come down and stop all this? So this would be one one side of it where people will be questioning. But on the other side, you will have those people who will say this is a test and this is what we've got to go through and this is what we've got to hang on to our faith. So you will see both movements. Um, it was rightly pointed out. Um, I can't remember where it was, but it was rightly pointed out somewhere. Um, um, regarding this issue, that uh, here here you have uh, two countries, Russia and Ukraine, for example. M- many of the population of both these countries are orthodox, uh, orthodox, Ro- orthodox Russian, uh, orthodox Christian churches mm. who claim to believe in uh, the, the oneness of God, or to believe in God. But yet, you have both churches supporting each other and fighting each other. Rather, they should be standing and saying to each other, we need to have peace. Now, now that is not happening as such. Whereas, from an Islamic perspective, I'm pretty sure, um, you know, that if, if there was a country which, for example, was an Ahmadiyya Muslim country, we would be pushing for peace, because that's what Islam teaches. Um, so, I think conflict will do all these things. It will lead people towards God, and it will also make people question their own faith. Where is Jesus? Why, why, why has he not returned? Okay, um, uh, I know I've taken a lot of time of you, but just one question. 
um, in regards of the census, what should Muslims, Christian, and people from other beliefs basically uh, take away from the census? Well, the census is a very... I love that census. I really enjoyed reading that census, by the way, because it showed me one thing. The inherent ancient practices of the people of England and the people of Wales, and I would say the people of Ireland included, because remember, the early inhabitants of England were Celts, and they had, prior to the, um, you know, prior to the coming of Christianity within the lands of England and Ireland and Wales, um, they had their own Celtic paganist practices. And now what we're seeing in part of that, that part of that census, not only are people moving away from religion, not only people are declining in the Christian faith, and they are declining, obviously, that we're seeing. They're just moving away from it. They don't see the point of it. They don't see the, the need of it. But what we're seeing, they're leaning towards their former faith, which is our former practices, which is inherent in, in every Celt, and that is paganism. So rather rather than the very victory of Christianity it was meant to happen, we're seeing a decline in it. And rather what we're seeing, as already pointed out, there is a clear sign of movement towards Islam. And and I, I would like to remind all of us that the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, mentioned that in the future, Islam will rise from the West. That, that simply means that people will start turning towards Islam. And I think we're seeing now, we're seeing people moving away, going back to their old roots of paganism, idol worship, association with God. And, and I, I, I'm absolutely convinced the time is coming when we will see the victory of Islam in the West and we will see the victory of true Islam, Ahmadiyya, uh, will rise uh, shortly. Shortly could be years, but shortly means I, I believe uh, that's what we're going to see. And, um, and, and to ensure that's going to happen, both, uh, both Christians and Muslims, I would have to say, if they want to hold on to their faith as such, they need to be seen to practice their faith, acting upon their teachings. Um, Imam Ibrahim, I will finish off with uh, a question relating to my first question uh, when when uh, when we started this interview, which was about have uh, the have people stopped um, or have they become tired of waiting for the Messiah? Because irrespective of what religion we look at, everyone is waiting for a savior in one way, shape, or form. Who is that savior? That's a good question. Um, that savior is simply known as a Messiah or Messiah in Hebrew. <laughs> it, it's that anointed person of God. See, this is this is a very important question. Question, Gayum. When when we use the word Messiah as an English term, people around the world, including Muslims, including Christians, and particularly Muslims and Christians, they they're seeing in their mind, they're envisioning the old concept of Jesus returning. So this is a problem for them now because they're not, they're not seeing him return, right? But they're not understanding that the word Messiah means anointed one of God. So that person they're waiting for has to be anointed by God. Hmm. And that anointed person right now has come. He was anointed by God and he is that person called Hazrat Muzgulamad of Ghadiyan. He fulfills all the requirements of both Christian faith and the Islamic faith, which was simply a Messiah who would come and again lead people back towards God Almighty, lead people back towards righteousness and virtues and morals and principles. But people have to recognize him. 
And that's the problem. They're not recognizing him. I remember a Christian saying to me uh, not so long ago, including Muslims included, but mostly uh, a particular Christian said this to me, when he's lost the name of, uh, of your Messiah, meaning the, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and I told him his name was Hazrat Muslim Al-Fadiyam. And they said, you see, so he's not Jesus, is he? So I said, well, what was the name of Jesus? Hmm. His name wasn't Jesus Christ. His name was Yeshua Ibn, uh, Ibn Miriam. Hmm. All right? So, you know, his name is Yeshua. That's his name. But it doesn't identify him as, as a Messiah. What is Messiah? Because when, when a Messiah tells the world, he's been anointed by God. So that's, that's the one they're waiting for. And the sooner the world reflects deeply on this and looks towards, back towards us and towards Islam, then they will recognize who that Messiah is. Wonderful. Imam Ibrahim Noonan, as always, I can ask you a million other questions, but we do have to move on to another topic. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking time out and coming on to our show this morning. I thank wish you a fantastic you. day ahead, sir. Please remember us in your prayers. May peace be with you. Um, let's move swiftly on to um, an interview that uh, was done with Dr. Umar Nasser on exactly the same topic. Um, let's go and listen to what Dr. Nasser had to say. So we have with us today at the Voice of Islam radio station, Dr. Umar Nasir, and you are a junior doctor who writes on subjects such as atheism, religion, and society. And you're also a co-founder of Rational Religion, and you work also for the National Tablik Department. Uh, apart from that, you're also a public speaker on on religion in the contemporary world, and you are also uh, you also coordinate on anti-radicalization uh, event campaign campaigns across UK universities. So thank you for joining us this morning the, today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Uh, so thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Um, so I just wanted to ask you firstly um, the the particular topic that we are covering. What are your opinions about the about the census? You believe you're talking about the census recently on religion, uh, which has been taken in the UK, which shows that um, Christians are now sort of the largest minority rather than being a majority of people. I mean, uh, it had got a lot of press attention. I guess it's significant as a landmark. But this is obviously going to happen. This has been the trend for many decades now. So it's not really that surprising uh, that there are more people who are sort of identifying as not being Christian rather than Christian. And it's significant because it's traditionally a Christian nation and now it's, you know, more than half of of its people don't even identify with with the Christian faith. So, yes, it's significant in that respect. Perfect. Um, and also, what do you think England and Wales are where where they are headed in terms of religion, and what changes will come as a result of this census? Well, I mean, changes don't come from census. Censuses are, uh, are metrics of change. But in terms of where do I think it's heading, I mean, only Allah knows best. But uh, I think obviously this trend will continue. There'll be fewer and fewer people that continue to identify as Christian. So then the question will be. Um, will anything replace atheism slash agnosticism? Will that just continue, or will um, people return to the faith of Christianity, or will they come to another faith such as Islam? Now, on you know, my religious belief is that people will eventually turn to Islam, uh, but uh, in the kind of in the world as such, in the West, that needs to be that remains to be seen uh, whether people will turn to Islam en masse. Obviously, there are some who do, 
uh, in smaller numbers. But uh, I, I think uh, I think what will happen is that it will become clearer as time goes on that they need a religion, but they won't be able to tolerate going back to Christianity because of the you know the scientific flaws of the Bible, because of the uh, uh, doctrines of Christianity that are quite difficult for the rational mind to digest in many respects. And they will look for a rational religion, and that I believe is the, the, the religion of Islam as understood by the Muslim community. Um, the big issue with Islam that really people have is uh, this perception that it's extreme, and the fact that the behavior of Muslims worldwide is often very much not up to scratch. So that's the thing that needs to change. They need to have more understanding of the religion, and also they need to see examples of Muslims that, are, that behave well in the, in the public and private spheres. Great. And... On the subject of religion and science, there are those that say that religion and science are not compatible. Do you believe that by specializing or attaining a much deeper understanding of science could result in one being less inclined towards religion? Yeah, I can in a sense, but really, it's uh, whether you study science or not, it's not really the, uh, the issue. It's whether your heart is inclined towards God or not, and whether you let it be filled with doubts or whether you um, have more of a clear head about things. That's more the determining factor, whether you study science, whether you study history or anthropology or whatever you study. The question really is kind of your spiritual state. Um, studying a particular field in itself does not turn one away from God. Um, it usually actually enhances your appreciation, your understanding of how, how God works. So I don't think it's the deciding factor, although, yes, it may happen that some people study science, they think these are the secrets of the universe, we don't need God anymore, and they go astray. But really, that would have just been a, a catalyst, I think, rather than a uh, uh, the deciding factor. And also, as a doctor, uh, do you believe that someone who is going through some sort of suffering uh, that may, you know, hinder them from uh, their own faith or on the question of existence of God? Um, well, of course, you know, everyone knows that suffering is one of the main reasons people don't believe in God, or at least is cited as such. So yes, many people sort of see suffering in the world, in their own lives, or in the lives of their loved ones, and think, well, therefore, there can be no God. Um, but the Quran is a different take. It tells us that, uh, you know, we will lose lives and wealth and fruits, i.e. the fruits of our labors. But it says, give, give glad tidings to the steadfast, those who, when a misfortune befalls them, say, to Allah we belong and to him shall we return, and on them will be blessings. So it indicates that the, the purpose of suffering of any kind is to for to help us to recognize that uh, this world is impermanent, that everything in it will fade, and that we shouldn't trust it, and that we should turn to the one who is eternal, the one from whom we came, and that's the only place that we can uh, rest, and that's the only uh, source in which we can uh, have true peace and contentment. So the suffering has a purpose, it's not just pointless. And as a Muslim, how do you think Muslims uh, should respond to this and how should they continue to spread the beautiful and true teachings of Islam? When you say this, do you mean the census? Uh, yes, referring to the census. Uh, I think we should just continue to spread it through our character and spread it through um, our words and uh, help people to understand. I don't think the census really changes anything. Uh, but I think it needs to be, you know, we need to recognize that there's, re there's a reason people rejected Christianity. Um, and uh, we need to show that Islam is different in, uh, in, in, the, in several key aspects. Um, I think that's really, really our job. 
Okay, great. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Umar Nasir, for um, uh, taking your time out and sharing your expertise on this particular subject. Zakumullah. Okay, thank you very much for having me. Writings of the Promised Messiah, Salam. We have been created for a great purpose, which is the true understanding of God. On that understanding depends our salvation. It delivers us from every impure and doubtful way and leads us to the edge of a pure and clear river. It can be acquired only through divine revelation. When being delivered entirely from our ego, we dive deep with an eager heart into an unattainable being, our humanness, having appeared in the court of Godhead, returns with some signs and lights from that world. Thus, that which the worldly ones look upon with contempt is the only thing which brings a long-separated one in an instant to his beloved and bestows comfort upon the lovers of the divine. It relieves a person suddenly of all types of egoistic limitations until that true light descends upon the heart. It is not possible that the heart should be illumined. The imperfection of human reason and the limitations of current knowledge bear witness to the need of revelation. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to The Breakfast Show. My name is Sharmin Ahmed and I'm joined here with my brother, Asim Hashmi. Dear listeners, and Asim, we have discussed about the sentence, we have just discussed about religious. And just to wrap it up, I believe religious is very important. Um, not, I don't want to be disrespectful to those who are atheists, but I think for my full belief, religion is still important it helps you as well and uh, I think it helps you uh, targeting a few certain things like Islamophobia anti-Semitism etc so dear listeners um, we will go now to our second topic which is Hashem uh, yes so the second topic is the current climate of UK further education is to be explored as universities participate in strikes and the gist of the story is that uh, universities across the nations are preparing for strikes as lectures walk out on the first three days of strikes over pay. It is said by the BBC, BBC that over 150 universities could be potentially affected um, with lectures, cancelling lectures and seminars. The National Union of Students are in support of the strikes and the UCEA has commented that the strikes have not been substantial enough to cause enough harm. So many strikes. I mean, we have the nurses, we have the teachers, now we have the university. I mean, what is left? Mm. Um, to be honest, like, uh, should I go for a strike as well then? <laughs> it's a new thing, eh? it's like very common. Though. No, it's, uh, it's 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 basically um, strange. And I think that, um, if people like nurses or even in the university, if this is happening, what will happen to that society? I mean, this is why, you know, how you build up this society. You mm -hmm. need these certain things. I remember, you know, in certain cities, um, if you want to have, or if you want to build something up, you the first one of the things we do, you would build a, a university as well. Uh, it's it is um, very strange, awesome. Um, but you know, even though if it's strange, um, dear listeners, before we go and we discuss it with ourselves, um, I'm very delighted to say that we have a guest with us. We have uh, someone who is an expert and who can tell us. We have Ruth Smith, senior national officer for education at Unison. 
uh, and is also the lead officer of the higher education sector. Now, Unison is the UK's biggest union with more than 1.3 million members providing public services in education, local government, DNSH, police service, police service, sorry, and energy. Now, they have employed in the public, voluntary, and private sectors. Ruth Smith, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you very much for inviting me to come on. Um, I'm not. Uh, likewise, um, I'm actually happy to have you with us because I'm mm. going to discuss this. And for, our benef- for the benefit of our listeners, um, could you briefly explain what role Unison plays as an organization and the support they provide in relation to the education sector? Okay, certainly. Um, as you've already said to your listeners, Unison is a trade union and um, we are the largest in the UK with more than 1.3 million members. And you've outlined where those members are in the public sector. Essentially, a trade union um, has the purpose of providing a collective voice for the workers. So the purpose of that collective voice is to achieve better pay and working conditions for workers by evening up the balance of power between the employer and the employees. And we do that by finding out from our members what their interests are and representing those to the employer to try and make sure that our members do end up with decent pay, decent terms and conditions. They're not exploited, and they do actually have a say in their working conditions. So I was just going to say, I mean, when I first joined a union, that was in a situation where somebody came into the small organisation where I worked and just took over, sacked a few people, completely changed the purpose of the organisation, and myself and a few others realized that we needed to get together and we needed to Mm. speak up against the changes that were being made so we joined a union to add weight to what we were arguing and that's really what unions are for they are to add that weight to the art to the um the voices of the staff amazing Uh, so what is your responsibility as a trade union and how Mm -hmm. do you ensure both parties the employers and employees i.e university staff and students are happy Well, I mean, in higher education specifically, because that's what I've come on to talk about. In higher education, over the last 13 years, the lives of our members have become increasingly difficult. And that's because their pay rises each year have been below inflation. So each year, they're earning less money in real terms than they Mm -hmm. were the year before. Now, that's a little bit by a little bit, kind of, it's a gradual creep of earning less money than you did the previous year, being able to buy less, being able to um, feel less secure financially. Now, after those 13 years, we're now in a situation where we've had this massive cost of living shock. Mm -hmm. And so it's got to the point where it's the crunch point and our members just actually can't manage. But alongside that, our members are employees in universities across the country and they want those universities to be successful. They want to do a good job. They want to have pride in the job they do and be fulfilled by the job they do. So they want their universities to succeed. But they can't do that if they're put in a position where they're not earning enough to be confident that they can pay their rent, pay their mortgages, pay their energy bills, which are going through the roof at the moment, put fuel in their cars. We honestly, we have members who now have to walk quite considerably distance, mm. considerable distances to get to work because they can't afford the bus fare anymore. Members who are concerned about being able to pay the rent to keep their, their children housed and kept warm and fed. So 
we're getting to the point where people who were doing jobs, which most people would think are really quite reasonably paid, are not reasonably paid anymore and they're really, really struggling. So our responsibility in that situation is first and foremost to our members. We need to represent those views and make sure that um, the employers do agree to increase pay and make working conditions better so that they can do their jobs well, which then help the university to be successful and helps the students to study. Thank you very much. That's a really important point you have mentioned. So an important question is that um, what impact are strikes having on the education sector as a whole? Well, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of strikes going on at the moment in a lot of different sectors, and I'm mm -hmm. only really here to talk about higher education. Mm. But, you know, for instance, I'm working from home today. I have been this week because of the rail strikes, and there, there's an impact on everyone of all the different strikes that are happening. There is no point in going on strike if it doesn't have an impact, mm. because actually nobody will take notice if you don't have an impact, if nobody's going to notice. So, you know, we're very much in solidarity with our colleagues in the rail service and the postal service you know the nurses today many of our members in unison will be going out in, on strike in the nhs over the next couple of weeks so the strikes are having an impact on everyone but specifically our strikes in higher education i do believe have had an impact um, when we negotiate over pay in higher education we negotiate with the university and colleges employers association uh, that's called UCIA, and UCIA have now come back to us and said that they will start negotiating with us again. So just on, just on that level, we have had an impact by going out on strike because they've come back to us and said, yes, we will negotiate with you. Yes, we understand that your members are in difficulty. Yes, we understand that we need to do something to pay them some more money to get them through this winter. So definitely there's been an impact. We were in those negotiations on Tuesday, only two days ago, and we are waiting since that meeting for the employers to come back to us with an offer in writing. So clearly there has been an impact. I think the other thing that demonstrates there's been an impact in higher education is that some universities nationally have demonstrated that the money is there. They do have money to pay their workers better. The problem is that they are constrained by the national negotiations. So some of them have come forward with some innovative solutions. Um, and I'm going to quote the University of Glasgow just as, a, as an example, who's come forward with an innovative solution whereby they've readjusted their grading structure to make sure those who are at the very bottom of the pay scale are not earning poverty pay. And that is the problem for our members, because our members are at the bottom of the pay scale. They are the cleaners. They are the caterers. They are the people working in facilities management or security. Mm. And they get paid the least out of everybody so what the university of glasgow has done is they've adjusted everybody up the grading structure a bit so that everybody's pay goes up a bit and and that takes those at the bottom out of poverty pay which is what we need to happen absolutely yeah so mm -hmm. do you think that there's an alternative method to meet the demands of those um who are striking as it is resulting you know in disruption of student education well, it's interesting you should mem mention students' education there, actually, because um, we've had really interesting reactions from students. They're very mm -hmm. interested 
in the strikes and very interested in the, you know, what's happening behind the scenes that's leading to the strikes. Okay. And we've had lots and lots of really interesting, engaging conversations with students on the picket lines who want to understand what is going on. And actually, they're very, very supportive of staff, both at the levels where we represent staff and also at the academic um, teaching levels that UCU re represent, because they don't want the people who provide them with education to be suffering so badly from the cost of living crisis that they can't focus on what they're doing for students. Mm -hmm. So if I give you an example there, if you have, say, a student counsellor who's worried about paying the rent, housing their children, paying their bills, and they're trying to provide support to a student who's going through some psychological difficulties, they're not going to be able to put their full focus on that student if they themselves are also really seriously in distress so in terms of an alternative solution i mean i think we need to we need to reflect on the the system for funding higher education when i was a student way back a higher education was properly funded and it didn't involve loans and it didn't involve fees to students now that was a long time ago um and things have changed considerably to bring a lot more people into the higher education system but there is a problem with a system in which the government only provides some of the money to fund higher education tells higher education institutions they have to raise the rest from fees from students but caps the amount they're allowed to charge as fees so essentially higher education institutions are in a situation where they actually can't bring in any more money and yet costs keep going up and up and up. Um, we need to move on as a country from the expectation that we can put a cap on public spending in relation to the education of students in this country and that the people who will take the hit every time more efficiencies have to be made are the staff. They're the ones who have to earn less and less and less in, year ter in, in real terms as the years go on. We need to move on from that and we need to properly fund higher education as a, as a nation. Um, Ruth Smith, uh, thank you for your time um, and for your points you just made. Um, I wish you all the best for the thank future you. and peace and blessings of Allah be with you. Thank you very much and thank have you. a good day. You too, thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, so, dear listeners, you just listened to Ruth Smith, Senior National Officer for Education at Unison. And Asim, she made very good points. One is, which I'm still thinking about, is that for the sake of the youth, we should consider these demands as well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. look at um, the youth is the next generation and who will basically build up the nation as well. And if mm -hmm. we don't look up for them, then we will suffer as well. And, and, and she said that all the strikes somehow... Everyone is suffering as well. We, yeah, know, we, yeah. we got the strikes in the university. We got strikes with the nurses as well. We got the strikes in the, for example, the trains. If the train is not working, it's not running, uh, you need, you, you have to stay at home. But the thing she has also mentioned that because the crisis we are going through, everything is so expensive. I mean, fuel prices are exploding. I mean, they're going higher and higher and people can't afford it anymore. And she said, just said that a few of the colleagues, uh, they need to, uh, I mean, they have to, uh, use the legs instead of going with or using any other vehicle. I mean, mm, this is mm. frustrating as well because it is, but it's also on the other side. It's it's um, good that the children, um, the students do understand uh, the strikes and are supporting their teachers as well. This is what I just mentioned. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's a relief as well that they understand the situation yeah, they yeah, are right now. Yeah. Um, the listeners, we have a clip to play. Uh, do us a favor, do enjoy the clip. And after that clip, we will be back. This verse is central 
to the Islamic faith whereby Muslims are taught that God Almighty is not just their Lord and provider, but He is the provider and sustainer of all humankind. He is the gracious and merciful. And so, irrespective of caste, creed, or color, God Almighty fulfills the needs of His creation. Given this, true Muslims firmly believe that all humans are born equal and that regardless of differences of belief, the values of mutual respect and tolerance must be firmly embedded within society. A beautiful Islamic principle given in chapter 2, verse 139 of the Holy Quran is that Muslims should seek to follow the ways of Allah, the Almighty, and adopt His attributes. As mentioned, Allah's grace is all-encompassing, and He is the provider and sustainer for all people, including those who deny His existence. His grace and mercy remains even with those who continually speak ill of Him or who conduct cruelties in the world. In Islam, the philosophy of punishment or sanction established by God Almighty is weighted more towards the hereafter. Whilst in this life, Allah the Almighty continues to manifest His grace and mercy upon the world. By instructing Muslims to adopt his ways, Allah the Almighty has instructed them to show compassion and sympathy to their fellow creation. In light of this, it is religious obligation on Muslims to fulfill the requirements of other people, irrespective of religion, culture, or ethnicity and to always be kind and empathetic to the emotions and needs of others. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show. We're talking about strikes. We're talking about strikes happening in the universities. Asim, if, if I use the word strikes, how many things will come into your mind? I mean, we have so many strikes right now in the uh, UK. It's like every day we have another strike. Every day someone else comes and says, okay, let's start a new strike. I mean, so I've lost count. Yeah, it's, 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 it's frustrating. I won't say amazing. It's frustrating how much impact that pandemic and the war actually had on us. That's the thing. Like We are suffering even though we are not living in this area and I hope this war comes to an end but we need to realize that as well that bringing to an end we need to come together as well because suddenly everyone is going through that and everyone has to go through that and everyone is is frustrating um as I'm coming back to basically the, the actual topic um like I just mentioned like how are these strikes and potentially more affecting students in universities like they are affected somehow and especially after long lasting pandemic with lockdown absolutely so and um, you know recently um uk university lectures um will stop marking assessments next month as part of a wider uk university strikes if demands concerning pay and pension aren't met 
Uh, more universities, including Newcastle, Queen Mary and Oxford Brooks, are voting to pursue industrial action. University and college union uh, UCU has warned that if the disputes cannot be resolved, more strikes will take place this year, impacting a larger number of institutions. So UCU, UCU represents over 130,000 academics, lecturers, trainers, instructors, uh, researchers, managers, etc. And uh, even postgraduates, universities, colleges, prisons, adult education and training organizations across the UK. So, I mean, the important question is uh, what can be done to improve education system in the UK? You know, awesome. If if about if we talk about education, yeah. You know, the Holy Prophet peace be upon mm-hmm. him. May Allah be help, uh, May Allah have mercy on him. He said one thing, and this is this is something we need to understand. He said, education is important. Yes. Yeah. Get education, yeah. even if you have to go through China, even if you have to mm-hmm. call, even if you have to call China, even if you have to go through this to uh, cross the peaks of a mountain, then do it. Basically, saying that what difficulties even come in front of you make sure that you still strive or do everything to get educated because mm-hmm. this is important this is how society is basically built Absolutely, Islam yeah. has built the Arabic society with knowledge as well um, and uh, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him has said that even though you have difficulty like let's say strikes to make sure that you yourself do something to get educated don't get lazy mm-hmm. open the book and start studying Absolutely, absolutely. And His Holiness, um, in his, one of his uh, Friday sermon on the Quranic prayer, Rabbi Zidni Ilma, which means, Oh my Lord, increase me in knowledge, mm-hmm. um, and expounded the significance Islam lays on seeking knowledge. Um, his Holiness explained that when this Quranic verse was revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace and, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he was uh, around the age of 55, 56. This signifies that there's no age limit or time span mm. set for seeking knowledge. Indeed, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and uh, enjoyed that man should seek knowledge from ch- uh, childhood till old age. Uh, Allah revealed, you know, the perfect book to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, with the knowledge of every conceivable kind, knowledge that was revealed 1400 years ago with the people of the world are gradually finding out through research. Uh, and this is, you know, when you said, when you when you mentioned the prayer of Bizit Nilma, basically Allah said that I will increase your knowledge, but he also said, you know, for every prayer, he's the one one thing. Mm-hmm. First step should be taken by those person who's asking. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. So if, yeah. if, even if there's a strike, even, um, I'm, and you know, I'm against strikes, you know, and I hope the demands of everyone should be fulfilled because I'm sure the government has the means to do that. And I hope this comes to an end. But for the students, you supporting uh, professors, it is amazing. But remember, you still can get education as well. Rabbi Zidnilma reminds us that the first step should be taken by us and then Allah will increase our knowledge as well. It is always how, how prayers works. Dear listeners, we have come to an end of the show. Um, I'm very grateful for all of our listeners who turn, for turning in. If you want to listen again, you can do so on SoundCloud. If you want to learn more about Islam, you can do so. Stay tuned with the Islam, Voice of Islam radio or turn in tomorrow at the same time. Um, also, I'm very grateful to our producer, Hania Sajid, Kafia Latif and Malahat Atab, and our researchers, Kanta Salia Barira and to Asim. 
peace and blessings of Allah be with you all and uh, have a good day have a good breakfast as well peace and blessings of Allah be with you